Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. I love the hand thing you just yeah. did. That was great. Let's do that every time. Bring the energy. Uh, I should never mess this up. <laughs> Where two friends pick topics and find intersections. Two, pi- two friends pick two topics and find intersections. What did I say? Two friends pick topics. Doesn't matter. Two or friends not. Pick Here we are. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. I won't mess it up like that again. No, I got you, girl. You, you, did you do great. got me. I appreciate it. Cheers, my love. Cheers. So, oh, we can't reach each other. All right. We're, uh, we're still recording in the closet. God bless us. <laughs> and we're cheersing to We Should Start a Podcast. We Should Start a Podcast, which is the name of, of our, our cocktail. first cocktail announcement, guys. The first one. So, as you guys know... For season two, patrons are going to get a new set of recipes. We have five cocktails. And they are all incredible. We're going to be featuring one a week, every week, for, for the next five, five weeks. weeks. Um, one is indeed a mocktail. That's correct. Um, you'll have to figure out which one. No, we'll, we'll tell you. We'll eventually. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how would you describe this beverage? So we can only be so detailed, right? The We Should Start a Podcast is light, mm-hmm. um, fruity, fruity, and bubbly. Oh, huh, just like us. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, <laughs> and it's strong. The, it is. It once you drink a couple of these, you're going to be like, dude, we should start a podcast. <laughs> you're going to be like, dude, how's the intro to my podcast going? Yeah, right. I've written uh, an intro and scheduled some people to do the intro music, and it's happening. Right, right. Ordered some microphones on Amazon. It's happening. Did a tarot card reading. It's happening. It's happening. I'm so excited. I am too. We had so much fun last season doing Patreon picks. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun with um, with doing that, so I'm excited for all the patrons for season two, and thank you guys so much already for welcoming us back. Uh, it's been really great. It has been really great, and it feels really good to have a new recipe this time, too. Mm-hmm. The pasta recipe was, like, such a crucial part of our friendship for mm-hmm. so many years, so it felt great to highlight that. But now we're older, we're wiser, we're stepping into bougie-ass cocktails. That's right. And I'm a big fan. In fact, we're drinking ours out of these badass goblet-looking things. They've got a gold rim, folks. Mm -hmm. Allie is living her best life. I just saw them, and I fell in love with them, and I had to have them. And I'm so glad you did. I have three. And my idea was that I would stack them, like one, two, three, like a pyramid, and display Cute. them in uh-huh. my cabinet in the kitchen, but the shelf is too low. Oh, so no. Then, so they just sit next to each other, which is, a, they're, they're fine with that. Yeah, yeah. But they're cute, and it's great, because now you, me, and Ray can all share cocktails together. What about Flaren? Uh, Flaren, um, we Flair can share a cup. Okay. There yeah. we go. Two girls, one cup. Got Two it. girls. <laughs> <laughs> gross <laughs> thanks for that you're welcome there are so many podcasts that use that analogy mm-hmm. i'm like why love you but did you watch the same video i know we've already talked about this on the podcast um, why does this come up so much stop cueing me up for such <laughs> nasty jokes you're nasty you're nasty well i think we should just dive into it this week i agree what kind of psychology topic do you have for us my dear so, this week, I decided to keep it light and fresh. 
with a story that you might be familiar with. Oh. Uh, disclaimer, this is not a true crime podcast, so I'm not going to jump into the true crime nature of it. Got it. We are going to jump into the psychology of it. Beautiful. In June of 2015, so let's think back pre-COVID, a woman was found face down in her bedroom in a pool of her own blood. (gasps) Dun, dun. From stab wounds inflicted several days earlier. Okay. After the police found her body, they quickly became concerned about the state of her daughter, who was missing. Her daughter was a wheelchair user (gasps) who had many chronic conditions, including leukemia, asthma, muscular dystrophy, and brain damage. Gypsy Rose. Or did she? When her daughter was found and examined, it was determined that she didn't have any of the conditions that had been documented. Are you doing Munchausen's by proxy? Yes, I am. Yes! <laughs> this is the story of Gypsy Rose and the murder of her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard, and the story of Munchausen's by proxy. God, this is the most classic case. It's, it's the most oh, well-known, yeah. at least. like, And it's so recent, too. It's so recent, it's so well publicized. There's TV shows about it. I a movie, documentary, something. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the name. And Gypsy Rose just got her release date from prison. I saw that on my wedding anniversary. On your wedding anniversary, happy two years. Two years. Thank two you. years to you. What is Munchausen by proxy? It is a psychological disorder marked by attention-seeking behavior by a caregiver through those who are in their care. In recent years, it has also been called fictitious disorder imposed on another. I mean, that F- spells it right out. D-I-A. Yeah, it really does. So we're going to go in like a small little wormhole. So, okay. you know, hold on to where we currently are. We're hold going, on to your hole. We're taking a lateral move to how Munchausen by proxy was named and this new naming situation. We're going to continue to call it Munchausen's by proxy for the sake of this episode. So, Munchausen syndrome, by proxy, was named after a fictitious Baron Munchausen, who was known for exaggerated stories, but is loosely based on a real Baron, whose name I cannot pronounce, but is something along the lines of Hieromius Carl Friedrich Frere von Munchausen. Yeah, darling. Born in Hanover, um, the real... Frere von Munchausen fought the fought for the Russo-Turkish War, mm-hmm. and I don't know anything else about him. Great. Uh, there is a movie called The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which was made in 1988 that may or may not feature Robin Williams, <gasps> who is not credited. Really? For real? It's Why? a real thing. Um. You better credit that man. Right. That angel baby of a man. Apparently, something about his publicist did not want him to be credited for showing his ass. So I I don't know if that's a literal ass, Mm -hmm. and he just didn't want to be credited for that. Mm. Or just being a jackass. Or maybe being a jackass. We're going to have to go back and watch the movie. Maybe this will be one of our first uh, Patreon movies. Oh, I love that. If you know what kind of an ass it was, let us know. Yeah. If you have seen this movie, of which we have never heard of. If you have seen Let us know. Um, But the fact that he's not credited is not a rabbit hole I had time to go down. So the fictional Baron's exploits include his impossible achievements as a sportsman, soldier, and traveler, including riding on a cannonball, fighting a 40-foot crocodile, 
Shit. And traveling to the moon. It's absurd and inconsistent and includes an undercurrent of social satire. So the name is, like, supposed to be loosely descriptive of the condition. Mm-hmm. So Baron Munchausen became, like, this guy who told fictitious stories. And then that became Munchausen syndrome. And then the by proxy piece is, like, imposed on another. So they decided to take all of that, which basically made no sense unless you knew who Baron Munchausen was, and turned it into fictitious disorder imposed on another, Hmm. which really just to the point there, on the nose. So it is a relatively rare behavioral disorder, and it's a little tricky to calculate due to the condition not necessarily existing without a victim or a child. It's almost impossible to know the frequency it Um, of this population, but there are some statistical surveys. When compared to other forms of child abuse, studies found that the evidence of um, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is 0.4% among children aged below 16 and 2 to 2.8 per 100,000 children aged below one year. So small. Mm -hmm. Super small. Like, 0.02 to 0.4%. So Gypsy Rose, which I know is what you're all actually here for. Gypsy Rose was born July 27th, 1991, making her a Leo. Great. I was going to ask. To Claudine Petrie, um, who was 24. It's it's Petrie like the dish. Petrie. Great. Thank you. And Rod Blanchard, um, who was 17 at the time. How old was she? 24. What? Yeah. And he was 17? And he was 17. Ew. Gross, right? They were married, but separated before Gypsy Rose was born when he realized that he got married for, quote, unquote, the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. According to Rod, who remained involved with his daughter for kind of off and on much of her life, Mm -hmm. when she was about three months old, Claudine, who became Dee Dee, was convinced that Gypsy Rose had sleep apnea and began taking her to the hospital. So she's part of that like 0.02 percent mm-hmm. when her the by proxy piece seemed to start around three months. She uh, experienced repeated overnight stays with a sleep monitor, but had no evidence of this condition. Got it. Dee Dee then became convinced that Gypsy Rose had a wide range of health issues due to a quote-unquote unspecified chromosomal disorder, and later that she had muscular dystrophy and forced her to use a walker. Mm. God, that's so damaging. It's so damaging. So my notes, we kind of go back and forth because, like, I'm trying to lay out how this is truly a very typical Munchausen's by proxy case. So the person with Munchausen's syndrome by proxy gains attention by seeking medical help for exaggerated or made-up symptoms of a child in their care. Then, as healthcare providers strive to identify what's going on with their child's symptoms, the parent or caregiver will often work to make the symptoms worse. Yeah. This becomes super confusing for medical staff because the caregiver often appears to be very loving and caring and even distraught over their child's illness. However, they are indeed the ones actually causing it. Right. In fact, um, I think I saw in one place, Gypsy herself said that if Dee Dee had had a child who actually had 
the conditions that she forced upon Gypsy Rose, that she would have been a great mom. Yeah. But she didn't. Like, right. Gypsy didn't have any of these. Right. It's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. And also, like, the place you have to be at mentally to feel like your parent who abused you, because this is a form of child abuse. A hundred percent. But abused you your entire life would be a great parent to someone who actually had disabilities. Woof. That's a scary, mm-hmm. scary rabbit hole. So when she was seven or eight, Gypsy was riding on her grandfather's motorcycle when they were involved in a very minor incident where she did obtain an abrasion on her knee. Okay. At that time, she was given a wheelchair um, that she, according to her mom, was told that she would have to use. Forever? No. Okay. However, her mom then, like, made it forever. Right. 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 But um, it was apparently for an abrasion, like, just a small, uh, small cut. At some point between kindergarten and second grade, she seemed to stop going to school and her mom homeschooled her because her quote-unquote illnesses were so severe. So we're seeing the isolation, we're seeing, like, the manipulation. Also, I think this is about the time that Gypsy's mom started lying about how old she was. Why? Like, that, I, I'm just gonna say the word fucked up, fucked and up so many times. Mm -hmm. Like, that's... Just so inhumane. Why would you lie about your child's age? It's a mental health condition. I know. I know. Well, and, like, Gypsy was already small. She was only, like, five feet tall. Mm -hmm. But, like, her mom aged her backwards. So she was actually born in 1991. In some reports, her mom said that she was born in 1995. Mm -hmm. And, like, if Gypsy was ever about to allude to the fact that Either she didn't know her age or anything like that. Her mom would, like, squeeze her hand really hard or something. So, like, really trying to control the narrative around Gypsy's life. They say this in a documentary or an interview, but they sit... um, When she's being interviewed, when Gypsy's being interviewed, Dee Dee is always right next to her with her hand always touching a piece of her so she can squeeze. Yeah. As a reminder that, hey, just so you know, I'm here, or just to get her kind of back on track. Absolutely. Um, And I'm not going to go so much into, like, all of the manipulation and abuse that was experienced behind the scenes, because some of that is speculation, too. Like, Gypsy has told us what she experienced. Um, However, there's little documentation of that. Um, And we know... We're going to get into later, like, the long-term implications for survivors of Munchausen syndrome by, pro- by proxy. But we know that there are some negative outcomes. Yeah. I which, bet. yeah. I will so, continue to insert my... Please do. Because I know pieces about this case. You actually probably know more than I do. I don't watch a lot of things about child abuse. And I certainly don't, like, go down the rabbit hole of it that I know a lot of people do. Well, I love child abuse, so perfect. <laughs> or true crime. Um, I was a true crimer for like a hot minute. Mm-hmm. And then I just, you know, went back to Shit's Creek. <laughs> I love Shit's Creek. I do too. We're, I'm re-watching it because my partner has never seen it. Ugh. So we're in season three and it's amazing. God, okay. so good. I'm jealous. Life is good. I wish I could watch it again for the first time. Me too. Okay. So, people with Munchausen syndrome by proxy may create or exaggerate a child's symptoms in several ways. They could simply lie about the symptoms, Mm -hmm. which I think is probably a good starting point. 
They could also alter tests. So think about like adding something to your child's urine if you're if they're giving a urine sample um, or giving blood that's not their actual blood. I'm not entirely sure. Yikes. Or different fecal samples. Yeah. Um, yeah. Falsifying medical records, which of course comes up in Gypsy Rose's story. Apparently yeah. her mom lies about the records being destroyed by flooding in Katrina. She presents the doctor. So the story is that she says that they relocated to, I don't remember where they really relocated to, but the story was that they were coming from Louisiana because of Katrina. Right, right. But she presents the doctors with a document with all of her pre-existing conditions. Uh Uh-huh. And so if if the doctor, like, kind of pushed back on her or required documentation, she would then go to a different doctor. Yeah, exactly. And that's how a lot of Munchausen Mm -hmm. by proxy works. Or induce symptoms through poisoning, suffocating, starving, or causing infections. Fuck. Yeah. So, at some point in their lives, when Gypsy's still fairly young, Dee Dee and Gypsy move in with Dee Dee's father and stepmother. You know this part of the story, too? I see you nodding. There is some suspicion that Dee Dee may have been poisoning her stepmother during this time with a Roundup weed killer in the food she was preparing. Ooh! which led to chronic illnesses during this period. Dee Dee was also arrested several times for minor offenses. Dee Dee and Gypsy eventually moved when her father and stepmother began to confront her about her treatment of Gypsy and their suspicion about her role in their stepmother's health. Mm. So Gypsy may not that. have been the only person yeah. that Dee Dee was, like, fucking with. I mean, I... I like, would you rather be poisoned by Roundup or, like, by Typhoid Mary, who has the best of intentions, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> the outcome is the same, and it sucks. It still sucks, and still Typhoid Mary, who had the best of intentions. <laughs> so there may be many reasons why someone with fictitious disorder imposed on another, or Munchausen sy- syndrome by proxy, might seek unnecessary treatment for a child or a dependent. It isn't necessarily done to achieve concrete benefits like financial gain, but rather to gain the sympathy and special attention given to people who are truly ill and their families, which worked for Dee Dee. Like, they got uh, free flights. They were flown all over the country for different specialists. Um, They, uh, Gypsy Rose, I think, got a -A Make-A-Wish. They went to Disney. Um, Their their house was a -A Make-A-Wish house. Oh, was it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the Disney trip may have been something separate, but they also got a Disney trip. They got a Disney trip, yep. Yeah. Oh, so, my God. I, I remember seeing her, like, she's like seven, she's like 18 in real life, but she's like Right, 15. she thinks she's like 14 or 15. Yeah, and she's like dressed like a child. It's very, it's so creepy. Poor baby. I know. Um, but at the same time, like, you can't kill somebody. Yeah. So, I don't know. Killing is bad regardless, and it's understandable sometimes. It's kind of like the Eileen Warnos situation. Eileen Warnos, the lesbian serial killer who Mm. was killing all the... The sex worker. Yeah, monster. Mm. The cause is unknown, but there are some beliefs or indications that both biological and psychological factors play a role in the development of this disorder. Some theories do suggest that there is a history of abuse or neglect as a child, or the early loss of a parent, which might be key indicators in its development. Gypsy's quote-unquote condition continues to deteriorate. At some point in her life, she ends up with a feeding tube, wheelchair, 
all of her teeth have fallen out for the most part. Bless her heart. An oxygen tank, age ambiguity, the need for glasses, baldness, etc. As already said, she was participating in the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Apparently, everyone who met her was, or at least a lot of them, were fairly charmed by her. Dee Dee had some of, oh, one of the things I found fascinating. Dee Dee had some of Gypsy's saliva glands treated with Botox. And what? then extracted altogether to control her drooling. What? Oh my god, I did not know that. The lack of salivary glands coupled with anti-seizure medication she was given, uh, or had been given already. Caused her teeth to fall Caused out. her teeth to decay to the point of most of her teeth needing to be extracted. Fuck. She took her, her sal- salivary glands? Sal- salivary. Salivary. Yep. I was like, Salvador Dali, got it. Salvador Dali, but salivary. Right. <clears throat> That's so fucked up. Yeah. She also had tubes put in Gypsy's ear to control her purported ear infections, mm. which probably did not exist. Oh, ear infections are the worst, though. They are the worst. And babies get them so often. I know. I have three sets of tubes. You had three sets of tubes? Mm-hmm. <gasps> three or four? Three, I think. So, symptoms or warning signs. So here we are back to the Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Uh, Symptoms or warning signs include, one, the child or dependent having a history of hospitalizations or a strange set of symptoms. The child or dependent person's symptoms generally being reported by mother or uh, caregiver but not being witnessed by medical staff. The condition and symptoms not matching the results of diagnostic tests because they're not real. The condition improving at the hospital, but symptoms reoccur once they go home. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the more obvious ones of not matching the blood of the child or dependent and having signs of chemicals in the blood, stool, or urine. And maybe a history of one or more unusual illnesses or death of children in the family. Right. So establishing a pattern. Yeah. All of that checks out. Like a typhoid Mary kind kind of thing. Right. Exactly. It follows you. One pediatric neurologist, Bernardo Flatterstein. Oh, that's a great name. Flatterstein. Flatbreadstein. Say again? Flatbreadstein. Is that his real name? No, it's just like a pizza. <laughs> Flatbreadstein. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Get I thought it you together. said Flapperstein, <laughs> like the 19, you know, 20s and 30s flappers. No. And I was like, I don't really get the reference, but we can roll with it. <laughs> like the mud flappers. I'm with you. <laughs> so, Bernardo Flatterstein saw Gypsy in Springfield and became suspicious of her muscular dystrophy diagnosis. He and became suspicious of her muscular dystrophy? Of her muscular dystrophy diagnosis. And ordered tests which found no anomalies. Mm. He, okay. It's interesting that we have a lisp at that particular sense because he contacted Dipsy's in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> he contacted gypsies, doctors in New Orleans, and learned that her original muscle biopsy had come back negative, undermining Dee Dee's self-reported diagnosis, as well as her claim that all of Gypsy's records had been destroyed by flooding. He suspected Munchausen syndrome by proxy, but did not report her to social services. <sighs> Obviously, flatbread, what are you doing? Flatbread, get it together. Dee Dee obviously stopped taking Gypsy to see him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
So in 2009, an anonymous caller told the police about Dee Dee's use of different names and birth dates for herself and her daughter and suggested that Gypsy may be in better health than claimed. The officers did a wellness check, as they should. Uh-huh. But Dee Dee explained that she used the misinformation to make it harder for her abusive ex-husband to find her in Gypsy. Mm. The file was closed. Fuck. That poor 17-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that. What? That was the 17-year-old? No, that he was 17. That, oh, that Rod got married. Was? Yeah. 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 God. I know. a baby. I know. I hate all of it. No true psychiatric medication. Oh, so we're back to the Munchausen syndrome by mm-hmm. proxy. No true psychiatric medications are prescribed for this disorder. However, uh, SSRIs, which are the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, help manage some underlying problems, especially for those um, in which a mood disorder may be the underlying underlying cause of this disorder. Some studies indicate that family therapy may help or psychotherapy. Checks out. Some individuals may experience only a few outbreaks of the disorder. However, in most cases, fictitious disorder is a chronic long-term condition that is difficult to treat, and there are relatively few positive outcomes for the disorder. Okay, so we could go all the way into the murder. But around 2012, Gypsy met a met online a fellow named Nicholas Godijan. He had his own record for indecent exposure and a history of mental illness. Um, he was also on the autism spectrum. He stayed in touch for a while, and despite Dee's attempts to keep Gypsy off the internet, they met for the first time in person and developed a plan to kill Dee Dee. Um, I'm not going to comment on the trial or charges. If that's a rabbit hole you would like to go down, then we can certainly do that. Um, but I haven't followed it very closely. I just kind of know the psychology piece here. What I will say it more broadly is that prison is not an environment help designed to help individuals heal or to prepare them to return to society. It's often seen as a punishment, and I think given what we know about child abuse and more specifically Munchausen syndrome by proxy, I hope that we would agree that this is not an appropriate environment for Gypsy Rose. Right. Through, though an interview with 2020, Gypsy Rose says, quote, I feel like I'm more free in prison than living with my mom because now I'm allowed to just live life Mm -hmm. like a normal woman, Mm -hmm. which is horrific to think oh no and valid too i mean shit yeah expert mark freeman indicates that victims of munchausen by proxy abuse tend to avoid doctors and hospitals later in their lives because of lingering trust issues Mm -hmm. and there's also the question of long-term impact that survivors of the specific form of abuse may face including physical mental and psychological issues yeah which we know um from just knowing more about Gypsy's case, that some of those things are already kind of coming to light. Mm-hmm. So we can only imagine like the long-term effects of such tremendous abuse from Munchausen syndrome by proxy, um, but also like just not really understanding what causes it or how to treat it or how to, you know, really help the children who experience it is pretty terrifying. So it is. <clears throat> 
It's really, I mean, it, 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 to me, it goes hand in hand with like animal abuse. It's like something I just cannot fathom. And it's related to just another innocent creature, right? Yeah. My heart is too big for, for that. Sure. I can't handle it. I know, me either. I can't. I won't. I can't. I won't. Um, no, it's absolutely devastating. And like child abuse in general, I understand where so much of it stems from. I understand all the psychology behind it. But it's especially hard when the survivors of this abuse, you know, may have outcomes that I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. I think that that's what makes it really difficult. To me, I think the Munchausen's by proxy is on the, uh, like, the opposite side of the spectrum of neglect. It's Mm -hmm. like... You are go- you're being so extra and inserting yourself so much that, like, that's where it gets messy. And there's, there's no level of, you know, it being worse or whatever. But to right. me, it's just, like, it's completely opposite of neglect. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's, like, hyper-focus. Fixation. Hyper-fixation. And, I mean, I think neglect can occur at the same time. Like, you could neglect to feed your child. Um, which is like literal neglect, but you're doing it for the sake of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Like, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, she ended up with a feeding tube. Right. So, and she was like on Pedia Light or Pediasure mm. or something like that until her 20s. Fuck. So I think sometimes it's the opposite and sometimes they go hand in hand and sometimes it's both at the exact same time. True. That's so true. 100%. Yeah. Super terrifying. Also, super fascinating. And sometimes, like, just taking a closer look gives us the ability to understand things better. So, hopefully, we can learn from it and prevent these same outcomes from happening again. Yeah. And I know that probably everybody listening is familiar with that particular case. Because, like you said, it's, it's, it's... It's been all over the news. It's been all over the news. And I think we'll see, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that when she comes out, she will live a normal life. Because prison has prepared her so well for that. Well... We can hope. I mean, we really She's been genuinely dealt a can. shitty set of cards, right? I hope that she is able to find a place where she can heal. Like, I hope that there, someone, a good social worker finds her and is able to get her into an actual treatment program to help her heal from this. I think a benefit of her being a pseudo-celebrity is that a lot of people will be interested in helping her. Oh, absolutely. So. I couldn't agree more. I hope that for her as well. Me too. So, would you like to get a refill of our We Should Start a Podcast and then hop on over to history? I would love that. We're going to take a break, get a refill. You should do the same. We'll be right back. Yep. And we're back with refills. I was not ready. Here I am. I'm ready. Get oh. situated. Get your asleep foot on top of your non-asleep foot. God, this is for the birds, <laughs> I'm telling you. I know. I tried to lean back with my back against the wall for a second. I was like, there's an echo back here. I don't know that that yeah. will work. For we're recording. still working on the... Hopefully the sound isn't compromised that much. Fingers crossed. Stick with us for a little while, and we're going to have the coolest office space with the very best art I have ever seen. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you love it. I really, really do. It's weird. 
it's like the cult movie. It's the cult art piece. It reminds me of that short story where the guy throws the match in the brick wall. He builds up the wall. Really? It reminds me of an Aesop's fable about grapes. Oh, I love that for us. It's an That's interpretive how, piece. It is an interpretive piece. <laughs> we'll have to post and see what you all think about it. I lo- yeah, I love that. Not It's not everyone's cup of tea, and that's fine. No, but it's the first piece of art going up in our new office. That's right. Um, we're still looking for like all the cool other things that we're going to put in there. I have a lot of stuff. Don't we all? I we live a in a... What did the um, last episode say? Consumerist society, where we really like our stuff. I love stuff. Materialistic and consumerist much as i hate it i love it i especially hate it when i'm folding laundry mm-hmm. or cleaning otherwise i really like my things i swept the stairs the other day and i was like i hate that i hate doing floors i hate floors you need to grover the rover i know I'm working on it I'm working on it or a a roomba is that what commoners call them yes roomba okay a roomba you ready i'm ready let's do it all right english major Okay, what are we talking about today? The word bedlam. 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 With a D. With a D. Okay. Have you, are you familiar with this word? I am not, in fact. It sounds loosely familiar. So it is a word meaning uproar, confusion, basically chaos, right? It's a British word. Is it any connection to the word hoodlum? I don't think so. Okay, continue. Um... But it is derived from the the name of the asylum that we're going to be talking about today. Ooh. Yes. Which bedlam. came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken. The asylum okay. came the first. The asylum came first. Correct. Got it. Yes. So we're going to be talking about a place that's basically straight out of a horror story. Okay? Yikes. Yep. Love that for us. We're going to be talking about the Bedlam Asylum. Um, it's a hospital that has been known by many names, including Bethlehem Royal Hospital, St. Mary's um, Bethlehem Hospital, and also Bedlam. So, shrimp basket combo of names. Right. It's, it's had four different locations. She's seen many moons. Okay. Whatever you prefer to call it, it is a psychiatric hospital located in London, England. Um. It is, you know, it has a haunting story, and it's inspired a lot of books and movies and TV series. This hospital was founded in 1248. Shut your mouth. No. 1248. 1248. As in 1-2. 1-2 step. Yep. Let me see that. Shit. Yeah. Let me see that one-two step. Okay, got it. Yeah. So nothing good can come from a 1247, <laughs> right? The original location was just outside the city of London. However, it was moved in 1676 and then again in 1815 and then again in 1930. So two out of the three of those is before we were a country. Oh, yeah, it's it's a yeah, correct. Shit. Yep. So when it was founded in 1247, it was called the New Order of Our Lady of Bethlehem, and it was founded during the reign of Henry III. Um, it was basically a hospital of the medieval variety. So sure, just a very so lots nightmarish, of blood letting, 
Yeah. No one's sure where the womb is. <laughs> right? It's just all <laughs> over the place. They're trying to balance your humors. God. So at first there was a religious function to the hospital. Um, and during the 100 years war between England and France, um, it had many uses, but was used to house the, quote, insane starting in 1377. So, like, almost 100 years later. Correct. Okay. So, we know this from records that were kept. Um, at this time, there were six men being housed in the facility who were notated as, quote, meat captil, which is a Latin term indicating insanity. Only six. Six, correct. Okay. A report from the visitation to these men also included notes of four pairs of restraints, 11 chains, six locks, and two pairs of stocks. It's unclear whether any of these were used as restraints to restrain these individuals, but I think that we can safely assume. For sure. That yeah. that's what those were for. Hate it. Yep. You're going to hate a I hate lot a lot of, of this. Got yep. it. <laughs> All right. I'm preparing. Ah. Uh, it's likely that the res- that restraints and solitary confinement were used for those who were seen as dangerous. However, little is known about the actual treatment of patients during the medieval period. Although, again, we can probably guess that there was... Th- basically, they, we think that they were probably more like prisoners than patients. Right. 1403 arrives, and this is when Bethlehem starts the transition from a general hospital to a very specialized... Um, you know, hospital um, for the, quote, insane. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, it began to have a reputation, um, and it even started appearing in local plays and prose, including my absolute favorite, quote, The Honest Whore, part one. Part one. Part one. That sounds fantastic. She was so honest. <laughs> Can I say that? So honest. So, the head of the establishment was referred to at this time as the master, uh-huh. which is gross. Yep. But what's also icky is that that term then kind of translated over time into the keeper. Also gross. Hate both of them, right? Uh, so, what qualifications do you need to become the manager of such an establishment is probably what you're asking yourself, right? That's exactly what I'm asking. Well, in 1461, a man named Richard Muniz was appointed to the position. And his prior work history exclusively included his, hockey, his occupation as a grocer. Grocer. Excellent. Like a, like a grocery store. Wonderful. Yeah. I see so many parallels. Customer uh-huh. service. Customer service. Organizational skills. Mm-hmm. Also, it's very much giving one flew over the cuckoo's nest already. Yeah. It's, it's not great. But other management backgrounds also included innkeepers and brewer brewers. Breweries. Also, plenty of overlap. Yeah. Customer service. So, granted, that was at this time. They did get their shit together eventually, but... I mean, so, they had to at some point. Correct. A little bit, at least. Um, so it was obviously mismanaged. Um, and around the same time, there was an increase in patients coming through the doors. So the resources were stretched. Quote, 
When patients were sent to Bethlehem, the keeper was paid from hospital funds. For the remainder, the keepers were paid either by the families and friends of inmates or by the parish authorities. It is possible that the keepers negotiated their fees for these later categories of patients, end quote. So it's problematic in the fact that, like, when you're not paying a uh, living wage, mm-hmm. then then it becomes corrupt, right? Right. Because you're, you're going to have to get it from somewhere. In 1550s, uh, King Henry VIII. I am, I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's doing his religious chess game, basically. And he seizes all of the religious properties for the psychotic bastard religion, the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Um, and he then hands all of those over to the state. Right. So it changes hands again to the hands of a larger hospital, Bridgewell. So, or Bridewell, excuse me. Bride, the Bridewell management would institute a practice that would end up being something that Bedlam was famous for. Okay? Mm-hmm. In the 1550s, they institute a practice where wealthy Londoners could tour the facility and gawk at the patients as if it were a zoo. Sounds Yikes. very Barnum and Bailey's. Yes. Like, very freakish, mm-hmm. you know. Freak show, 100%. Freak show, absolutely. So let's talk about the conditions. In the 1550s, interestingly and surprisingly, the building was an open concept layout. They, there were segments depending on the patient's symptoms, but patients were pretty much allowed to walk around and even leave the facility. And those who were considered to be dangerous were basically chained up and kept away. Great. Bedlam was built over a sewer, which served both the institution and the local community. Mm-hmm. The sewer would often get backed up, and the smell was horrendous. I mean, what year is this? In the 1550s. Yeah, so we aren't expecting much better at this point. No. It doesn't get better for a really long time. No, no. Mm-hmm. Indoor plumbing isn't a thing. It's going to be big. A visitor described... Uh, their visit by saying, quote, crying, screaming, roaring, brawling, shaking of chains, swearing, fretting, um, could be observed. Yikes. Yikes. Double yikes. <sighs> the Before the engineering and distribution of clean water, there was only one single pump in the backyard, so w- which would have been really labor intensive to like bring water in. It, it, and it would have made things a lot harder to keep things clean. So it's it's dirty anyway, but, right. you know, they just, they don't have the running water. In the early 17th century, they did add a wash house where you could do laundry and there were chamber pots in the cells. For much of the 17th century, the dietary provisions of patients appear to have been inadequate. Depending on who was managing the hospital at the time, depended on how many individuals would be found with malnutrition or starvation. Great. Patients were fed twice a day on a, quote, lowering diet, an intentionally reduced and plain diet consisting of bread, meat, oatmeal, butter, cheese, and generous amounts of beer, which I thought was interesting. Well, there was a clean water at the time. True. It is likely that many meals um, alternated between the meat and the dairy products, almost entirely lacking in fruits and vegetables. Sure, because who needs fiber? Sure. They the already por- had a sewage problem. Yeah. <laughs> the portions appear to have been inadequate, also likely reflecting contemporary um, humoral theory that justified rationing the diet of the mad. 
Oh. Avoidance of rich foods and the therapeutics of depletion. Basically keeping somebody without so yep. that they don't over extend yeah. themselves. You gotta balance the humors. Yeah. La, 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 la. We've talked about the humors before, haven't we? We have. It was gross. And yes, I hated it, was. it. Bile. Bile. I remember right? coming up really frequently. <laughs> <laughs> Blood, bile. Fuck, stop. Water and something. Wind. Fire. <laughs> the four nations. <laughs> Quote, the year 1637 is typically interpreted as denoting the divide between the medieval and the early modern administration of Bedlam. It marked the end of the day-to-day management by an old-style keeper physician and its replacement by a three-tiered medical regime composed of a non-resident physician, a visiting surgeon, and an apothecary. So everything is not being in-house anymore. Now they're they're having somebody who's coming in from the outside, which in theory sounds is like good. an upgrade. Theoretically, like, yeah, it sounds like an upgrade. Uh, which was a model adopted from the royal hospitals. The medical staff was elected by the court of governors, and in a bid to prevent um, proliferating at the expense of patients, they were all eventually salaried with limited responsibility for the financial affairs of the hospital. So that, in theory, would solve the um, greed piece, right? Right. Just stay in your lane, which I think is a really great, important uh, piece of any employer is just to make sure that people don't have too much on their plates. Because you can't be great at everything, but you can be be great at a few things, right? Sure, yeah. You can't... uh, What's the... Jack of all trades, master of none. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So visits by friends and relatives were allowed, and it was expected that the families and friends, poorer inmates, would bring food and other essentials for their survival. Bedlam was and is best known for the fact that it allowed the public and casual visitors for non, with no connection to any inmate. So, again, the people coming to gawk. This display of madless madness at public show has often been considered the most scandalous feature of the history of Bedlam. On the basis of circumstantial evidence, it is speculated that the Bridewell governors may have decided as early as 1598 to allow public visitors as means of raising hospital income, which makes sense. They're like, we're not making any money. Let's Let's invite people to come in. Um, And that will increase our budget. Sure. Let's see all the madness. The only other reference to visiting in the 16th century is provided in a comment in Thomas More's 1522 article, The Fourth Last Things, where he observes that, quote, Thou shalt in Bedlam see one laugh at the knocking of his head against a post. End quote. Gross. Yeah. So I'm thinking about people current day folks who may seek psychiatric care Mm -hmm. and more often than not they're people struggling with depression or bipolar disorder or like other psychological issues that may or may not actually be something to that you can observe Mm -hmm. right sure so i'm wondering what on earth what conditions what what were the people who were residing in Bedlam experiencing that was something to gawk at? Yeah. Like, I'm imagining from Asylum, the uh, American Horror Story, mm-hmm. like, there was the the person, 
who had like a cone head. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what they were actually called. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering like what else, what other conditions were there to actually observe? Because most of the folks I know who have sought psychiatric care, it's not anything you observe. Like they're going to group therapy. They're, you know, doing things to heal, not necessarily doing things that someone would want to come in and see. Yeah. And I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine that if you have, if you're, if your entire mental health is going untreated, and you're put in conditions that are anything so, yeah. but conducive to your recovery, right? Then there, I'm sure that there's some other symptoms. Well, and they're probably also putting in there people with just general disabilities who didn't have anywhere else to sure, go. Sure, 100%. And yeah, absolutely, yeah. right? So it's uh, it's just disgusting either way. Absolutely. But it's just... Any way you slice it, it's bad. So the, the person who made the quote, his last name is Moore. So as Moore occupied a variety of official positions that might have occasioned his calling to the hospital, as he, he did live nearby, his visit provides no compelling evidence that the public visitation was widespread during the 16th century. So we see various times of, you know, people's writings, you know, when there were more public access than right. others. The first apparent definitive documentation of public visiting derives from a 1610 record, which details Lord Percy's payment of 10 shillings for the privilege of rambling through the hospital to view the, quote, deranged. Hate that. It was in so many ways. Oh also, my gosh. Lord Percy? What are we at a Lord Disney movie? Lord Percy. Fuck you, Lord Percy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, It was also at this time that perhaps not coincidentally that Bedlam was the was first used as a stage setting with the public. Oh, with with the publication of The Honest Whore Part One. Part One. Do we get an Honest Whore Part Two? There must be a part two, but it must not have taken place. Or it could be like Hamilton Two. Was it Hamilton Two that we watched? Hamlet. 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 Hamlet Two. Which actually did have a part one, so I take that back. It did have a part one. Right. Time machine, remember? Yeah. Evidence that the number of visitors rose following the move when the, when the, 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 so it moved four times. They moved to more fields on the third try. Was it under more? It was, it was probably under a more. Right. That would make sense. I don't know. It's a little even confusing when their last name is also a word. For sure. It provided the observation by the Bridewell governors in 1681 of, quote, the great quality of prisoners that came daily to see the said, quote, lunatics. Okay. Great. Eight years later, the English merchant and author Thomas Tryon remarked disapprovingly of the, quote, swarm of people that descended from upon bedlam during public holidays. In the mid-18th century, a journalist of a topical periodical noted that one time during Easter week, which is just like the best time to go. For sure. Quote, 100 people at least were to be found visiting bedlam's inmates. Eventually, bedlam was a popular attraction, yet there is no credible basis to calculate the annual number of visitors. The claim still sometimes made that Bedlam received 96,000 visitors annually is speculative. You know, they had to have come up with a number somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, a sign-in book or yeah, guest registry, who, something. Who, receipts? Where's the birth certificate? You know? <laughs> right. Nevertheless, it has been established that the pattern of visiting was highly seasonal and concentrated around holiday periods, which is so fucking weird. Well, what are you going to do when you're on break from school? I just, it's weird. At it's Oxford, like all Because that's around. like the only college at this point. Oxford University in England mm-hmm. was established in 1096. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that freak me out so much? Because calculus had not been invented yet. <laughs> Ew. I don't like it. I know. It's wild. Ew. So when folks were on break from Oxford, which... Uh-huh. Wearing their Oxfords. Right, for sure. <gasps> they went to Bedlam Asylum. Yeah, okay. So, la, 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 la. as Sunday visits were severely, um, like, lowered in 1650, and then they were banned seven years later. So... Because of Jesus? Because of God, I guess. They're like, go to church, you silly goose. What are you doing here? <laughs> so, you know, the, the numbers did... D- did decline and i wonder like okay so is it terrible that people were coming to basically take advantage of these people yes sure but it did it did uh have some type of influence on the you know the way that they lived right because they were being held accountable right so what happens when you take that away you know, I, yeah. I mean, it could it could result in an additional mistreatment if there's if there's no. That's a really good point. If there's no oversight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As one mid-century uh, correspondence commented, quote, there is no better lesson to be taught to us in any part of the globe than in the school of misery. Here we may see the mighty reasoners of the earth below even the insects that crawl upon it. And from so humble a sight we may learn to moderate our pride and to keep those passions within bounds, which is too much indulged, would drive reason from her seat and leave us with the wretches of its unhappy mansion. Let's cross-stitch cross stitch <laughs> that on a pillow. <laughs> on a pillow, right? Um, but yeah, I think people had a lot of, of like philosophical feelings leaving the establishment. Just understanding their place in the world, just humanity's place yeah. in the world, right? And yeah. how fragile everything is. From 1770, free public access ended with the introduction of a system whereby visitors required tickets signed by a governor. So that's the piece. You know, now people aren't, aren't allowed unless probably you have somebody in there that you know. Visiting subjected Bethlehem's patients to many abuses, including being poked with sticks by visitors or others taunting, giving drinks and physically assaulting or sexually harassing the individuals in there. Great. I know. It's just, it's so Hate sad. That. Yeah. In the period thereafter, with staff practices less open to public security, the worst patients, you know, the, the abuse did, did occur internally. Of course. All right, so we're moving into the 18th and 19th century, and the place started to kind of fall apart. So there were uneven floors, buckling walls, and leaking roof. 
Um, it resembled, quote, a crazy carcass with no walls, still vertical, which is absolutely terrifying. The Wayside Stories of Sideways School? <laughs> yeah. Sideways Stories of Wayside School? The financial cost of maintaining the Moorfield building was increasingly more expensive, and the capacity was all, they were also meeting the capacity. In 1791, Bethlehem's uh, surveyor, Henry Hollard, presented a report to the governor detailing an extensive list of the building's deficiencies, including structural defects, uh, uncleanliness, and, and estimated that the repairs would take five years to complete and a cost of 8,660 pounds. Only a fraction of this sum was allocated, and by the end of the decade, it was clear that the problem had to be largely unaddressed. Mm. They're like, pick your poison, dude. You can't Listen, have everything. We're doing our best. Which I feel that, because we just bought a house. You're doing your best. And you can't do everything. With the logic of, the report, uh, of this report was clear, the Court of Governors facing continuing financial difficulties only resolved in 1803 behind the project of rebuilding on a new site, and a fundraising drive was initiated in 1804. In the interim, attempts were made to rehouse patients at local hospitals and admissions to Bethlehem, sections of which had been deemed uninhabitable, were significantly curated such that the patient's population fell from 266 in 1800 to 119 in 1814. Which really isn't that much, to be honest. Right. That's pretty small. Yeah. They finally finished the project in 1816, and it is now housed, and it now housed 45 men and 15 women. Small problem, though. The steam heating didn't work, and the basement galleries were damp, and, quote, windows of the upper stories were unglazed. Basically, they didn't have panes in them. Sure. Yeah. So that the sleeping cells were either exposed to the full blast of cold air or were completely darkened. Great. These poor fucking people. <laughs> the only, so the silver lining here is coming up. So we're approaching the 18th and 19th century where there began to be a better understanding of mental health and treatment. Right. Although it wasn't great, like even up until like 1999, yeah. 1990, right? Like it, it just I, wasn't ideal. It just wasn't ideal. But the fact that I think this is where the, the turning point happened where, you know, there was a better understanding about not locking people away and forgetting about them yep. and and, and yep. trying to find a solution which could po potentially be just as damaging right absolutely but that that shift kind of happened um quote increasingly the emphasis shifted from the external control of the mad through physical restraint and coercion to their moral management whereby self-discipline would be included through a system of reward and punishment. For proponents of lunacy reform, the Quaker-run York Retreat, founded in 1796, functioned as an example of the new approach that would seek to re-socialize and re-educate the, quote, mad. Bedlam, um, you know, had some changes after that. Um, 
there have been a few scandals that have happened between now and then. There are several people who have passed away, uh, according, uh, you know, to abuse or neglect. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, the the history of this establishment is really sad. But it's one of those things where it was it was so early, or you know, it was the, one of the earliest establishments yeah. to to have this specialty so it's right. got this really weird place in history um but it was absorbed into the national health service in 1948 okay so is that did things actually improve at that point yeah i mean people can't be treated that way anymore so theoretically uh the closer Hopefully. we get to modern society the better uh, things get the better things get good but that is bedlam Wow. Baby. Wow. It's really sad. I'm so sorry. That is really... Both of ours were kind of downers today, man. Do you have any jokes? Uh, I don't either. But this We Should Start a Podcast is really good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big fan of the We Should Start Podcast. I'm a big fan. So, um... After this episode, I definitely feel like we should start a podcast. I I think you're a genius. Um, so intersections, I think, are kind of obvious. Abuse? Abuse. Yeah. Trauma. A little bit of trauma. Um. And by a little bit, I mean Spectacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're, they're pretty obvious here. I, I wonder, you know, what roles, because my, my research didn't get as much into the people who were the keepers and the, the right, masters yeah. and everything. But, you know, I would, I would guess that there was some type of power dynamic that they were sure um pretty satisfied yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely and i mean you know just thinking of all the trauma that gypsy experienced and um if she had actually had any of those conditions how you know things could have been different for her but also asylums are still a thing today not like they were obviously in the one two step but mm-hmm. oh, um, some level of asylum still exists so, it's so old Blech. i know I hate it it's gross it is gross it's right? horrible and it's not healing like you're you're basically putting people away without the expectation of being able to return to society or even living a fulfilling life so yeah well wow. one thing that can be fulfilling is this cocktail recipe listen find <laughs> us on patreon because you are not going to want to miss this cocktail recipe it is really busy um, we also have four more yay um and four new episodes coming up in That's which right. we will get to feature them we're so excited so we will see you guys next week if you have not left us a five-star review please do we got a really cute one recently that talked about Super our friendship cute. <laughs> I we love, love you that. so much i know that was really sweet yeah um so you know we read every single one we respond to every single dm so please feel free to interact with us yep. online um, also we fangirl afterwards and like text each other about 100%. how cute and amazing and wonderful you all are every time you message us or leave us a review so remember that we love you i hope that all your dreams come true hope you have a wonderful day thank you so much for listening <laughs> and if you're out there uh, <laughs> we'll see you next wait what do i say 
<laughs> if you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.